0: left me a piece of cheese. We both know this is one of my <laughs> soap boxes, so he was like, yeah, go for it. And so it, it, it basically works out very well. It works into the next few weeks anyway, so it's a very good transition from what I preached last time and moving into this. If you guys remember, the last series I did was Who's Your One, which was about the gospel and talking to those people who we care about and how we do that the best way, um, the different types of ways, the things that we keep on our mind. Um, we went through that whole series for uh, five weeks, and even at the very beginning, we we went through part of Luke at that one too about uh, Jesus saying there would be many in that day that, that called, uh, they called that call him Lord, Lord, and they're not saved. So th- this next part of Luke. Kind of wraps all of that up, and then kind of pushes us into the next um, into the next series uh, coming up, which will be about God, and in a deeper way that hopefully that we've never um, maybe realized or thought on for a while. But this is a good transition to get there. Um, hopefully, by the end of this sermon, we'll be prepared and set up for the next coming weeks. We will um, it will have us in the right state of mind. Um, By the end of the sermon, uh, we'll be ready to move into those things. But let's go ahead and read that. If you will, and you're able, uh, let's stand up together and let's read this together. We're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 8 and read over what Chuck preached last week. So it says, Soon afterward, he went through the cities, through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. It's talking about Jesus. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits, infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Shuza, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. In verse 4 it says, And when a great crowd was gathering, Jesus had a way about gathering a huge crowd, you know, he was doing things and people just were amazed at the things he was saying and the things that he was doing. But he could also get rid of a crowd quicker than anyone that was around. He said, and when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable. Now, a parable is something as a story that gives a deeper truth or a deeper meaning. But he gives it as, a, an, as an example. He says, a sower went out to sow his seed. he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would be with us today, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Lord, I pray that the, these truths would penetrate all of our hearts, that we would keep them in mind as we go out with the gospel. Lord, show us and uh, show us things today that we may not have noticed before. Uh, speak to our hearts in a way that only you can speak. Even as I'm speaking, in Jesus' name, amen. Now the last series we did, we were talking about how to go out with the gospel. We talked about who's your one. Focusing on one person and different ways of doing that. Now this, this is why I say this is a good transition to what we're going into in the next few weeks is because when you're going out, you have to keep in mind that it's no fault of yours when you're preaching the gospel and you're telling those people about the gospel. There will be what is called true and false conversions. And this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. Some of the, guy, some of the uh, guys from church were joking about it because it seems like I always get the job and the duty of talking about the true and the false conversions. But if that's the way it works out, so so be it. God has it planned that way. But um, this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. And he thought it was a good opportunity as the crowds gathered closer and closer to... These people, you wanted to make a point. Now, there's certain people who will hear the gospel in different ways, and that's what we're going to go through today. But to let it hit home a little, a little, a little better, let me, let me give you an example. I wonder if you've ever heard a testimony like this. I want you to think. I want, I want you to know. I want you to think through your head, through, through your life. Have you ever heard a testimony like this? Now, this is extreme on purpose. It's extreme on purpose. But let me tell you, I've heard some things that are very close to this. Very close to this as a testimony. So I wonder if you've ever heard someone say this about their testimony. I gave my heart to Jesus when I was a child. Then I became involved in drugs, robbery, muggings, rape, murder, pornography, torture, gambling, money laundering, adultery, perjury, treason, extortion, and some other things I'd rather not mention because they might be a little embarrassing. I was filled with anger, hatred, and greed. But all the time I knew the Lord and gave my heart back to Him when I was 40. How many of you have ever heard someone say something similar to that before? Right, this is what we're going to talk about today. This is what Jesus is talking about. It's not my idea. This is what He's laying out in this parable. Is There's different people who hear the gospel and they respond to the gospel in different ways. So you're sitting there and you're thinking about that testimony that I just read that I've heard a lot of people say very close things to that. Yeah, I was involved in this and that, that, but I got saved when I was a little kid. And then I went off and did all kinds of ungodly stuff and didn't care a thing about Jesus, but I gave my heart back to him when I got to be older. What we're going to go into today is that when they gave their heart back to them when they got older, that's when they truly got saved because they put away everything else. They put away all those things. And you sit there and you hear somebody say something like that and they give a testimony like that and you say, well, something doesn't sound quite right about that. It's because there's not something quite right about it. I have some uh, quotes here from some preachers who are way smarter than me. Um, how many of you have heard of D. James Kennedy? I've heard he, He's a good, good pastor. He was a, a very good teacher. Very good teacher. This is, one of his, this is what his quote was about the church. He says, the vast majority of people who are members of churches in America today are not Christians. Listen to what he's saying. Listen to what he's saying. The vast number, the vast majority of people who are members of churches in America today are not Christians. I say that without the slightest fear of contradiction. I base it on empirical evidence of 24 years of examining thousands of people that they're, they're existing inside the church but yet, they're not a Christian. A.W. Tozer, if you ever get a chance to read A.W. Tozer, read some Tozer. He's a godly man, very, very godly man. Good reading, good, good thoughts. He said, It is my opinion that tens of thousands, if not millions, have been brought into some kind of religious experience by accepting Christ, and they have not been saved. And then you have Jesus warned on the day of judgment, like we preached the first sermon of the last series. Many would come to him saying, Lord, Lord. And he would say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. So you have this all throughout the Gospels. And Jesus is telling them, and we're going to use a lot of parallels here. We're not just using Luke. You have Luke 8. You have Mark 4 and Matthew 13. All of these are giving the same story in the same parable. And, and Jesus says, do you not understand this parable? He told them this story that we just stood up and read. He told them that. Do you not understand this parable? If you can't understand this parable, how will you understand the rest of the parables? And we'll get into that too. But um, Jesus said, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. That word iniquity means lawlessness. They live inside the church, but they live as if there are no laws to keep. Understanding God's law is pivotal in conversion. And a lot of the time, that's what's missing. You've heard me say that over and over throughout the Who's Your One series, that using the Ten Commandments brings knowledge of sin. But Jesus says basically that, that our understanding of this parable is the key that will unlock the meaning of many of the other parables, is what he said in Mark 4. He said, I've given you the keys of the kingdom, and this is what I'm telling you. This, Remember this. This is very important. And one of the Gospels, he says, listen, and he says, listen and behold. This is important. When you hear one or the other, both of those means whatever is about to be said is very important. But in Mark, he uses both of them. He says, "Listen, behold, pay attention to what I'm telling you. When you go out with this gospel, and we have crowds like this, and you hear me preaching the gospel, you're going to have four different types of hearers. And when we're casting the seed, just because you have casting, uh, just because you've cast the seed, doesn't mean that those people are taking in the right type of soil, and that will be uh, that will grow into a." a what we call a a healthy disciple, uh, a follower of Christ. But once we understand that when the gospel is preached, that there is true and false conversion, then the other parables begin to make sense. And I'm going to bring up the other parables, and when I say them, you'll start to say, oh yeah, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about this a lot. So he's talking about the parable of the sower will help you understand these parables. You had the sheep and the goats dwelling together in the body, in the church. The sheep and the goats dwelling together. The true and the false conversion. Then you had the the foolish virgins and the wise. There again you have the true and false conversions together in the same place. You had the bad fish and the good fish drawn into the same gospel net. The good fish and bad fish sitting together. Then you had the wheat and the tares growing alongside one another. So what Jesus is saying, we have the church, but you have some that have heard and, and they're in a different soil. And we're going to go through those things today. So let's read through Jesus' explanation of this parable. It starts in verse 9. So let's read that through 15. He says, And, and, when, the, and when His disciples asked Him what this parable meant, He said to he said. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. He is saying this is a secret. This is part of the secret that I know about that I'm giving you uh, insight into. But for others they are in parables so so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. I was talking about this with one of of our guys here at, at church this past week. Why did Jesus do that? Because he knew that if he gave it into a story, that if they understood it, he knew that only the Father had revealed it to them. If he had preached it in a certain way and it had been by his own coercion, he would, it would have been on him for not trusting the Lord with that being revealed to them. So he would tell them things in a mysterious type of story. And when they understood what he was saying, he knew that the Father had told them about it. The Spirit, flesh and blood didn't reveal it to him; The Father did. The Spirit revealed it to them. In verse 11 it says, Now the parable is this. He goes into explaining it. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Verse 13, And the ones who are on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy. But these have no root. They they believe for a while. And in time of testing, they fall away. As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. And as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and a good heart and bear fruit with patience or perseverance." Another thing, I think this is a timely message because I hear a lot of this going on. How many of you have heard in Christianity today of people deconstructing their faith? You hear people talking about that. Jesus has already addressed it. You can't, you don't deconstruct your faith, and we're going to go into that too about what that faith really was. But starting off, I want to make something clear because you hear this all throughout Christian TV. Notice Jesus says the seed is the word of God. Just take this as a mental note when you're watching TV and you're watching TBN and you hear people say, sow a seed into the ministry. It's not referred to as money. It's the word of God. The seed has always been the word of God. Jesus says, the seed is the word of God being proclaimed, going out. You're casting seed to whomever is around you in your circle of influence. You're passing out that gospel seed. And the result is not on you. All you're called to do is cast the seed and throw it out. The salvation is in, is in his court. But it's the proclamation of the gospel, the good news. So let's get into these four types of gospel hearers. You proclaim the gospel, just like we talked about in the in Hoosier 1 series. You're proclaiming the gospel. You're being bold. You're going out with it. You're going to have four different types of people that hear, hear this gospel. And, and the way they receive it. It's all about the soil that... That it goes into. Most of the time you we, we, we just hear people say, well, th- you either have the saved and then you have the lost. But Jesus, just like he did in the Sermon on the Mount, you remember in the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about, you've heard it said that you should not have commit adultery, but I say to you that if you've looked with lust You've committed adultery already with that person in your heart. So he takes what people have understood and he takes it and he takes a microscope and he puts a laser beam on it. He does the same thing with the gospel. It's not just simply those who you believe have received it and those who you believe have not. You have a group of the people who you who had a, a positive reaction to the gospel. Of that group, it's even smaller. It's even smaller. And I'm not saying that to be... Quaint or anything, this is what Jesus talked about. Remember, he said the way is narrow and the gate is straight. According to this parable, you have three out of four people. 75% of the people who hear the gospel have some sort of positive response to the gospel. (laughs) They will respond in a positive way, in some sort of way, and we'll get into that. But of those who are in what we call the saved category... Two out of three are still unsaved, according to Jesus, in this parable. Out of that, out of that one group that we would say, those people responded positively to the gospel, you have two out of three that are still, the soil still wasn't right. This is how narrow, this is how narrow the gate is. So one third of the 75% who hear and respond positively to the gospel are actually born again. That makes you look at people in your life. And we're going to get to that. You don't look at them and say, Well, I told you so. It's not for that reason. It's to go and proclaim the gospel to them, to stop treating them as if they were a Christian just because they said so, but to give them the gospel. Preach it to yourself every day, preach it to them every day. But can we say together that Jesus was right when he said, The way is narrow and the path is straight that leads to life? You have, out of all those people who responded positively to the gospel, that is still smaller. I want to ask you a question. Who is the one that does the saving? Jesus Jesus is the one that does the saving. A lot of times we feel like we have the pressure on us to say things exactly right. You don't have to have everything together. We talked about that in Who's Your One? You don't have to have everything together. Even Andrew didn't. The last one we talked about didn't have everything together, but he knew who did have everything together, and he took them to them. So if we keep in mind who we know who does the saving, Don't let this. It is a little unsettling, but if you know that God is the one in control and He's the one that's doing the saving, the pressure is not on us. It may be a really small way, but that way is not for us to get them through. We're just supposed to take them to Jesus, and He gets them through the gate. All we have to do is be faithful to proclaim and throw the seed out, and we'll go through those listeners here here soon. We are just supposed to be obedient and faithful to brag on Jesus. If anybody who, who has actually been changed and their life has been changed by Jesus, you've you, you got something to brag about, right? There's something to brag about because your life is different. You see things different. You, you, you have a hope that's coming. You want to brag on Him. But only God knows those who, who are His. Therefore, we need to tell as many people as possible. We don't know and He may never tell us. And that's His business because He is God and we are not God. We're just to be faithful. So let's walk through the four types of gospel hearers. The first one we come across, the first one Jesus mentions here, is the wayside here, or the one that fell along the path. The one that just fell along the path. How many of you have ever grown a garden before? I'm not awesome at it, but I just know some things that I've seen. I've tried to plant some grass before, so bear with me if you've ever noticed the ground when it's really packed down where people walk around a good bit if you try to throw grass seed or anything like that on it just sits on the top it doesn't get down into the ground this is what he's talking about these are the people who when they hear the gospel it absolutely does not take root at all in their life and they're they're the ones that are frustrating for us the ones we really care about when you tell them over and over and it just feels like it's falling it's what we say it's falling on deaf ears um when you talk to him, that's, that's just about it. You tell them the gospel, Jesus has done this. This is your sin. They're like, eh, okay. So he's given a picture of, of casting out seed, and you see the seed on the, on the beaten path. It just sits on the top. It may get washed away. And Jesus even says that the birds come and, eat it, come and take the, the seed away. I've seen that happen before when I'm planting my own grass seed. If it's not in a good place and it's not covered up, the birds come and they take it away. And Jesus mentions that, that the enemy even comes and steals that seed away and that they won't get saved and that they won't believe. So that's the first type of hearer. It's like you're talking to them and it falls on deaf ears. But stay after them, though. That doesn't mean let, let it go. I've known some people who have, have had people on that stony, or not the stony ground, but the hard uh, beaten path. It, it just felt like it was falling on deaf ears. But who's the one in charge of the soil to begin with? Jesus is the one in, in, in charge of the soil. He can change it at any point in time. A friend of mine, he prayed for his uncle over and over and over. He told him the gospel over and over. And it just felt like it was fell, falling on deaf ears. And one day it just hit him. It just clicked like boom. You know, we didn't even see that the soil was changing, but his life changed, his whole mindset changed. So stay after those people. It doesn't mean give up on them just because the seed may feel like it's falling on this, this beaten path. But that's the first hearer. And I know a lot of you have, have come into contact with those people. The second one is the stony ground here, and we're going to take a little time with this one because I think this one happens a good bit in the church today. Um, like I, t- I mentioned before, you hear people talking about deconstructing their faith. But when they, hear their, when they hear the gospel, it says that they receive it with joy. They receive it with joy. Now, you, you, you sit there and you think for the, the first time you hear that, you're like, well, yeah, why wouldn't they receive it with joy? But if you think back at your at your salvation, what did it begin with? It began with sorrow for your sin. You heard that you first heard it and it hit you, you're like, "Oh my gosh, I'm an awful. I'm an unclean person." Like, I don't even know why I'm still alive. It's so humble. Your your face is in the dirt. Your face is on the ground. I don't And then you hear the gospel and you're like, I need I need that I need that, yeah, and then the joy comes. These people he's saying that they first hear it, they're like, yeah, I'll take some of that. I think it might help a little bit, as if it's a pill to pop, like, oh, that'll fix it, that'll fix it real quick. It says they receive it with joy, with calm delight, like, yeah, yeah, I'll take that, I'll take Jesus. They have no, they've never seen their sin the way that a holy God sees their sin, and you know what I'm talking about. If you've been saved, you see your sin, and you hate that sin, and you're like, "I, I can't do nothing with it. God take it from me. When the law and, the, and, and sin is not preached to people, sin is not seen as being exceedingly sinful. Paul said this in Romans chapter seven verse 13, that by the commandment, sin became exceedingly sinful, exceedingly sinful. And when sin is not seen in the light of what it is, being exceedingly sinful, then there's no trembling before a holy God. And we read that in, in, in James, that even the demons believe and they tremble. So if we've never trembled before God, there's something that we need to ask. There's something that we need to pay attention to. If we've never trembled before God over our sin, before him is being holy. There's no contrition or no sorrow for sin. So the false convert, this false convert receives the word with gladness. Yeah, I'll take I'll take Jesus. I'll try him out. So here's the challenge. I want to challenge some of you today because I know this is there's always a mixed crowd. Jesus just mentioned there's always a mixed crowd. Do you see your sin as exceedingly sinful or are you just all right with it? Ask yourself that. I want you to sit there and ask yourself that. Do you see your sin, whatever the sins may be, as exceedingly sinful? Or is it just something you can coexist with that, yeah, it'll be all right. Yeah, it's wrong, but yeah, it'll be all right. Also, another characteristic of this stony ground here is that there is no root, is what Jesus says. There is no root. It means it is not in something that it can grow and that it can flourish in. There's no root. While every plant has some sort of root, its life, the life of that plant, all depends on what it's rooted in. I'm going to say it one more time just so it's important. While every plant has some sort of root, its life all depends on what it is rooted in. Whether it thrives or whether it dies, it's all depending on what that plant is in. Many people have had an experience or a brush with Christ and make some sort of commitment, but their commitment through time is found out to have been rooted in something other than Christ. Now this is... You're getting into the weeds, Matt. You're getting into no, this is what Jesus is talking about. He's saying there's different hearers here. He's talking about if this, this is what the stony ground hearer is like. They've put their root as going down into something other than Christ. We know this by when those things are removed from these people's lives, their roots have been planted in different things. When these things are removed out of their life, they've lost their faith somehow. Now this is where it gets, it gets a little hard to hear. These particular people, when they've, they've put their root in something different, these are the types of things. There, there's many other things you can put your root in, but these are some of the things. Some people put their roots in, when they come to Christ, they put their roots in possessions or blessings. You hear people say, well, come to Jesus and he'll make everything all right. He's got a wonderful plan for your life. He'll make He'll make all this stuff happen. Your, your babies won't die. You'll never be broke. You'll always be rich. You'll have the nicest car. You'll have the nicest phones. You'll have the nicest everything. And when, and when people come to Jesus, they, they've come to Jesus for a reason. They came to him for that. Their root is driving down into those blessings, into those possessions. And when those possessions and those those things that they've put their hope in dies, they think I'm falling away from the faith. I, I don't have the things that they told me I would have whenever I got saved, whenever I believed Jesus. So Jesus must be false. And so you hear them, and then they're saying, "Well, I'm deconstructing my faith. I didn't get. It's not what it was cracked up to be." Some people put their possession or put their put their roots down into possessions or blessings. Some people put their roots into the pastors or the leaders. They go to a church or. Or, or someplace because, man, I just love to hear from that person. I love to hear. And then whenever they, whenever these people, like the pastor, say me or Chuck disappoints you, let me tell you, I'll speak on his behalf because we share the same brain cell. We will disappoint you at some point in time. But if you have put your root in me or Chuck, whenever we disappoint you, you're going to feel like your faith is failing because you've put your root, your root's been growing down into the pastors or the leaders or those possessions we just mentioned. The other thing that you can put your roots down into is is the church. You can put your roots into the church and it not be in the right place. Now, let me say this. We should love the church and we should desire to be with God's people. But listen, the church isn't Christ. It's It's not the same. You should want to be at church. You should desire to be at church. You should desire to be with God's people. You should desire fellowship with God's people. But it's not Jesus. We're all fallen people. We're all broken people. So if you put your roots down into the, into the church and whenever you came to Jesus, you're like, yeah, I like this crowd. I think this is a cool crowd. I think, I think that can be my family. When the family lets you down and no one else is around, you're going to feel like your faith is failing because your faith has been put into something else. Your root has been put into something else. It's been put into the church. Sometimes people put their roots into people in general people in general, and when those people let them down or and or disappoint them, they fall away from the faith, which is true. They're falling away from a faith that was in people and not in Christ. So if you really have Jesus, or let's put it this way, when Jesus really has a hold of you, it says in John 10 that whoever's in my hand, no man will pluck them out. And if and I and the Father are one. And if, if I'm in the Father's hand, no one is going to pluck it out of the Father's hand. We are the same. So the thing is, it's not, do I fall away from the faith? The question is, have I ever been in the faith in the first place? Because if you can fall away from the faith, you've never been in His hand to begin with. This is how... Jesus takes things to a laser point. You have people who have responded positive, positively to the gospel and then you see them say things like I'm deconstructing my faith. I'm struggling with my faith. Listen, there's been times There's been times when we, me and Jessica had no one else before we came here to Heritage. Did I turn my back? Did we turn our back on Christ? Did we look at him and say you must not be right? Not once did I do that. You can't. There's no way you can do it. Because once you've put your root in him, you know he's the one that's good. Everyone else will fail you at some point in time. They will all fail you. I've had people, the church has failed me. Not this church. This church is awesome. Man, I love this church. But I've had the church fail me. at I've been on mission trips and people turn on me in the mission trip. And come back and tell on tell stuff that never even happened, like a a four year old. Listen, I know what the pain feels like, and when everyone leaves you, but you don't sit there and say, "I'm struggling with my faith." No, I'm struggling with people. (laughs) Get it right. You may already have it right, but if you don't have it right, get it right today. If you if every every other person in the world left you, you should still say, "I have Christ." I don't care if everyone, no one in this world ever speaks to me again. I have Christ. I know what that feels like, and not once have I ever said I'm thinking about leaving Jesus. I just don't. I can't comprehend it. I just, if if you feel that way, there's something you've got. You've got your root in something else. It's possible you may be a rocky ground hearer. Just take it as an example. You remember, the? how many of you have read the book of Job? Do I need to say anything else? (laughs) Really? Job lost everything. Even his wife was telling him to curse God and die. That's supposed to be the closest person to you. Imagine what he felt like. And he's just like, who else do I go to? God is all I've got. He lost his livestock. He lost all of his wealth. He lost all of his family to death. He knew what death felt like. It's painful, but he never once said, oh, "I just don't know if he's right." I, I, I'm going to leave him. I'm going to deconstruct my faith. I just don't know if he's right or not. I think I'm 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 losing it. And not only him, you had the disciples. You know, Jesus told everybody, he had a huge crowd, he had a mega church, and he told them, eat my flesh and drink my blood. I think I would have left too. And that's weird. They all left, and he turned to the the 12 and said, you guys going to leave too? I mean, everybody else left, and they're like, where else would we go? Where else would we go? You You have the words of life. You have the words of eternal life. The disciples, those guys, they had their root in Christ. Their root wasn't in the crowd. It it wasn't in the crowd at all. It says in the scripture there, Jesus mentioned, it says that they believed for a while. The stony ground here, they believed for a while. This this is what is scary, that they believed for a while. There's not a time limit on this part of the passage. There's no time, not for uh, so many weeks or so many, uh, we always think small, like, oh, well, they just kind of rose up and went back down. It says that they believe for a while. It could be years they go and believing. But what reveals it is the tribulation and the testing and the things of that nature that we're going to talk about right here. These rocky ground hearers can exist in the church for an unknown amount of time as long as there is no confrontation of sin or tribulation. And it says in the scripture, in time of testing, they fall away. When their faith gets tested, when something happens and, and it pokes at their faith or it gives them a little trouble, they fall away because it just doesn't, because they put their root in something different. And the three things that it mentions is temptation, tribulation, and persecution. The temptation is mentioned right here in Luke, in Luke uh, 8 13. As soon as they're tempted again, they return to the former lifestyle of sin without a hatred for that sin. They enjoy it. You hear other scripture. It says, "As a dog returns to his vomit, so so does the, the sinner go back to the, his folly. It, the fool goes back to his folly." And in another part, it talks about how the swine or the pig goes back to the wallow in the mud. You know why? How many of you know why pigs stay in in the in the mud? They keep cool. They keep their flesh cool. Think about that for a second. It says, just as the fool goes back to these things and the, and the pig goes back to wallow in the, in the mud, this false, this false convert, this stony ground here, goes back. And when he gets tempted, he goes back into that sin to wallow in it and lay in it to cool his flesh. His flesh is screaming, I, want, I, want to, I still want to do this sin. I still love this sin. And they're trying for a little bit. And they're like, man, it's hot. It's as hot as burning. I've got to go get back and wallow around in, the, wallow around in that sin again. So when they get tempted, their faith falls away. The next one is tribulation. It said it in, in, the, in the, the Gospel of Matthew 13 that when tribulation comes, when things get rough, the honeymoon is over and everyone isn't talking about them getting saved anymore and it's not in the forefront anymore. Life begins to happen. Obstacles get in the way. Friends and family and others look down on you and leave you because of your association with Christ and or the truth of God's Word. When those things get brought up and they say something, oh, I don't agree with that. And you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to lose them. And they fall away. And then in Mark 4, it talks about persecution on account of the word. Now, this is one that I'm seeing a ton of lately, and you hear it all the time, and it's usually the beginning of a downfall when you hear these things, people having issues with practicing homosexuality being a sin in the Bible, and they start off with something like that, and they start thinking, man, this sounds really hateful. These people really, they really enjoy this lifestyle. This is just the way they are, and they start sitting there thinking and trying to justify the whole thing, and then... They're like maybe my faith is wrong. Like maybe my faith, and they start, they start deconstructing their faith because the stony ground here, their root is not in Christ. Their root is in whatever makes them feel good, whatever the person is, whatever the people are, whether it's their family, their friends, or the church, or they don't want to offend anything. And so, on on persecution on account of the word, whenever something, some hardship comes because of what the scripture says, they want to fall away. And they start questioning everything, which is fine to question. You need to question the Bible. You need to get it on your, you need to have your own faith, not someone else's faith. You need to work those things out. But whenever you're ready to leave the faith because you think Jesus isn't right because something isn't right, you're not grounded in Christ. It's not grounded in what Jesus has done. The people who want it all to be acceptable and embraced in and, and the way of living bring up these issues with Christians and the rocky ground hearers hear these complaints, and because their root is not in Christ or in the Word, they can't take the rejection from the people leaving them. I can't be around you if you're not going to accept this. You don't have to be mean about it, but you just tell the truth this is what the word says, and if they don't if they don't agree with that, you're like they these people walk away like. Their, their root is not in Christ I want you to imagine this is this is a, to give you a picture of what a rocky ground uh here is like you have two different plants that are growing one is really big and one is really small how many of you have ever grown okra before I've grown okra before now, now what do you do when they grow real close you get rid of some of them right you have to get rid of some of them. You get rid of the ones that are small. So this is what we think. You got two plants here. One that's really huge. And you're like, man, this thing's really, really blooming. This thing is it's going to town, man. And then you got this little one. And you're thinking, man, tomorrow, probably when I get off work, I'm going to pull up that little one, you know, just to give that other one a little more space. And something interesting happens. The next day, the first day you were looking at it, it was a little cloudy. The next day you come out, the sun's been shining. The sun's been beating on both of them. And you notice the bigger one that you thought the day before was awesome. That sun has been beating on it, and it looks pitiful now. It looks awful. But the little one that you saw, man, that thing's striving. That thing shot up a few inches. You're like, wow, I'm impressed. The thing is, this is what it is. The sun revealed something that we didn't see. The big plant that you saw the day before that was so beautiful and awesome, it had no root. The root was growing into like bedrock and so it was dying fast so when the heat and the persecution and the trouble of the sun was shining on that big one that had no root it withered away and fell off and died but that little one the little one that root was down into the the good soil the fertilized soil the soil that was rich and full and it was growing forth and bringing like shooting up like crazy so in the same way in the spiritual in the spiritual side of things you have those Christians who you think, man, they shot up really fast. They received it with joy. They, they look at them go, look at them go, and then whenever some kind of trouble comes to them and everyone leaves them because of it, you find out their root wasn't in, in Christ. Their root was either in the people that were around them or the, or, or the thought process or, the, uh, or just it was in something other than Christ. Their root was not in Christ. And so when the tribulation, that son of tribulation and persecution and that, that comes, what it does is it purges out the church. It purges out the church. It takes away those that, that have a false conversion. It reveals what we cannot see when tribulation comes. The thing that, the thing that is the same as the son is the tribulation in Matthew 13, the temptation in Luke 8, and the persecution in Mark 4. These three factors reveal what you and I cannot see, the heart condition of the professing convert. So that is the rocky ground here. The challenge I want to give to you are, are your roots in Christ? I want you to think of your own life. Are your roots in Christ? Are the people that you love that are in your circle, are their roots in Christ? Or does it feel like anytime something bad happens, they're ready to get rid of him. They're ready to jump ship. And it's not for the, the occasion of saying, I told you so. I told you they're not saved. It's not for that reason. It's for you to have your mind right to give them the gospel, to preach the gospel to them, to, to let them hear the truth. Then you have the thorny ground hearer. These are the people who hear the gospel. They understand the gospel. They hear it. But as they go on their way through life, they're choked out by three different things that Jesus brings up. They hear the gospel, they understand it up here, but it's never sank to their heart. They go through their life and they're choked out by the cares of this life, the riches of this life, the pleasures of this life. The cares of this life, they're consumed with everything but Jesus. They hear the gospel, but they never can get a hold of Him. They never can just like, yeah, I just want to drive it down. I've got, I've got to learn more about Him. I've got to go after it. They get consumed with everything and anything but Jesus. Then you have those who get choked out by the riches of this life. They're consumed with work and making more money and getting more things and keeping up with the Joneses. I've got to get the bigger house. I've got to get the bigger car. Yeah, I received Jesus, but I'm more focused on this. I've got to get this in my life right. I've got to get this in my life. i got to get this done before I get retired. i got to have my 401k just right. They, they, they go into this thing, and they're consumed with the riches of this life, and it's choking them out. It's choking out that seed that they heard Oh, I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. I I get it. I get it. But, 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 and I got to go after these things. Then you have the ones who go after the pleasures of this life. And this is the problem in the American church is the American dream. The American dream and the gospel butt heads so many times. Covetousness. I've got to have this. I've got to have pleasure. Whatever I can get to make my life more enjoyable, give it to me. Let me have it. Don't tell me I can't have it. Give it to me. When Christ wants to be that pleasure, he wants to be the treasure of your life. He wants to be the king. You saw it happen all throughout the Old Testament. He wanted to be the king, but the people wanted a human king. They didn't want to follow him. And it also says the last thing it says about them is that their fruit does not mature. I want you to notice something. It says that their fruit does not mature. That means they had a piece of fruit, they had fruit growing. They had fruit budding on their, on their plant of gospel. They had some fruit. These are the people you say, well, I, I've seen a little fruit. I've seen a little fruit. And then years later, you're like, yeah, but I've seen a little fruit. And it's not growing. It's just buds. They're just little buds that, that budded on there. And you see the fruit that's supposed to be there, but it's so choked out with every other pleasure and every other thing in life, it never matures and Jesus is saying, false, con- false conversion. You'll have all these different hearers of the gospel. They have a nominal, unsaving type of faith. They've come across Jesus, but he's not everything. Yeah, read my Bible here, there. Yeah, I pray when something goes wrong. and They have little buds of fruit. But they never never mature, says Christ. In the parable, they never mature. So all of these are examples of false conversion. So what do we do with this knowledge? What do we do if someone is in this condition? Do we sit there and say, well, I knew they weren't saved. I knew it. I knew they weren't saved. No, it should break our hearts when we see them, and they can't see it, and they're blind to this, and we need to find ways and be creative and pray and ask God, how do we get them to understand their sin before God and that they're not in a good place. How do we, Lord, let us examine ourselves. That Lord, you are so other than us. We can't understand. We can't comprehend your things, your ways. But you give us these parables. We should use it as an opportunity to be concerned for their eternity. Give them the mirror of the Ten Commandments. Give them the law that brings that knowledge of sin that shows them their condition and preach the gospel to them. Give give the gospel to them before it's too late. Listen, treating them as Christians is probably the worst thing that you could probably do to one of the false converts. I've seen this happen over and over and over. Dead, spiritually dead as a doornail. But, oh, they just need a little more discipling. And you pour in and you pour in and you pour in. Read the Bible, read the Bible, pray. You need to pray and read the Bible. Study this, study that. And it's just pouring it into a glass that doesn't have a bottom in it. It'll wear you out because there's no root for the plant to even grow. The gospel has never taken root. Treating them as Christians who just need discipling when they have never seen their sin only encourages their blindness. It just enables their blindness even more. So we've talked about all the false conversion, but Jesus also mentions what is a good, what does a, a true convert look like? This is the last one here. In, in Luke 8:15, he says: As for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word, they hear it and they understand it, they hold it fast in an honest and a good heart and bear fruit with patience, with perseverance. They hear, they hear, they understand, they hold on to Jesus. Though everything may fall apart, they hold on to Jesus. I've got him. It, this is going to be rough. I'm holding on. In the middle of the storm, you hear, you've hear? you heard this song before, uh, anchor in The uh, uh, Anchor in the Storm. What's the name of that song? Yeah. Some, there's plenty of songs about it. That's the, that's the point. The Anchor is Holding. The Anchor Holds. That's the one. That's an old song. But it holds in the middle of the storm, and you're holding on to Jesus. This is what the true convert does. No matter if everything else is falling apart, you're, you're broke as a joke. Your family has left you. Your friends have left you, and there's nobody else, and people have turned on you, and you don't even know what to say anymore. You don't even want to be at church anymore, but you've, you're holding on to Jesus. This is what the true convert looks like. So what are the fruits of a new convert? We're going to go through these real quick, all through the New Testament. Fruits of, the, thru, fruits of a new convert. We've talked about false converts Enough. What does it look like to be a true convert? According to Matthew three eight, there are fruits of repentance. If we are a soundly saved person, we will have evidence of repentance. Anytime we're making a mistake, sinfulness, like we will, we will repent. We will turn from it. We have an attitude of of repentance. Zacchaeus said, "Behold, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor." And if I've wronged anyone, I'll pay back fourfold. He's been, he would ripped everybody off his entire life, and he's like, nope, I'm going the other way. I'm going to give, them, I'm going to give back to the people. You see a totally changed heart. In Colossians 1.10, you have the fruit of good works. Now, we know from what James said, that, or even Ephesians says, that good works will not save you. It's by the grace of God only. But James said that faith without works is dead. It's a corpse. So there, in Colossians 1.10, it says there's fruit of good works. If you read the book of Titus, even Titus, says it. Titus continually says things like, "...let those who have believed in God be careful to devote themselves to good works." Jesus himself said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. In Hebrews 13, 15, you have the fruit of thanksgiving. You'll have a thankful, you'll have a heart of gratitude towards other people, towards God mainly. And it overflows from that gratitude towards God into others. You have a fruit of thanksgiving. Oh, that once you've seen the cross, you will say, like in 2 Corinthians 9, 15, Oh, thanks be to God for this unspeakable gift. You see the gospel and you're just like, it it just blows my mind. I don't know why I even have Jesus. I don't even know why I have God. Listen at this parable. Why do I even go the way I go? Why do I even go through the narrow path? How do I even make it? Like, this is the heart of what he's saying in Corinthians. Oh, thanks be to God for this unspeakable gift. A gift that's only been given by Christ. Fruit of thanksgiving. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit. We hear this one. This is one of the main ones. If you're a soundly saved person and you're a genuine convert, you will manifest the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faith, meekness, and self-control. You'll have all those things blooming from your life from the plant that is rooted in Christ. If it's rooted in people, you'll be lacking a lot of these things. It won't, be, it won't be a healthy plant at all. But if it's rooted in Christ, those things just come forth. You don't have to strive for them. You've heard me say it before. How many times have you seen a tree straining to bear fruit? You don't see a tree shaking, trying to pop pieces of fruit out. They just stand there and they hold the fruit, and it comes naturally from, the, from that good soil from the health of that tree that's been given, the goodness of that tree. In Philippians 1.11, you have the fruit of righteousness. You will do that which is right. In Psalm 23.3, he will lead you in the paths of righteousness. And then you have in Matthew 3.10, it warns that every tree that does not bring forth good fruit, not ordinary fruit, but good fruit will be cut down and cast into the fire. So, as witnesses of Christ, we should do everything we can not to not to just get uh, church members. We don't want to just get church members. We don't want to get just get decisions or group members to come to discipleship group. Who cares? Who cares about the numbers? Who cares about who like how many people are coming to a church when you have eternity on the line? But with with God's help, we must make sure that those we bring to the Savior have the things that accompany salvation, from Hebrews 6.9. The Bible says, Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That's in 2 Timothy. That's the same word we mentioned before, lawlessness. So I want to challenge you. I want you to look at your life in this particular thing. Are you departing from iniquity? What is your fruit like? What kind of hearer have you been? What are... What are the hearers that are around you and you hear them saying they're deconstructing their faith? Don't let that worry you like, oh no, I've got to say something to get them back on the right path. No, pray for them as if they are lost because it's that serious. They may be lost. Paul said, I had not known sin but by the law. When there is no understanding that we have sinned against the holy God There will be no vertical repentance. And without repentance, there is no salvation. So we're we're closing now. Samuel, I don't know if you have a song. But I want to ask these these questions as we're done. Who do you know that may be a false convert now that you've heard all these things? Think in your mind, who are these people that may possibly be a false conversion? I want to challenge you. Will you share the gospel with them? I want to encourage you not to keep keep talking to them and speaking to them as if they're a christian if you if it's a parent and they have a testimony like the one we started off with, give them the gospel. Let's go ahead and bow our heads and and get ready to pray. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.